The Paceline is a production of the Cycling Independent, a reader and listener-supported cycling-focused website where every bike is a good bike. And if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin, Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Hey, John, uh, I just remembered something that we should have done like a week or two ago for our listeners and acknowledge that we have new music. Oh, we do have new music. That is correct. My, We're I'll now closing the barn door. <laughs> we don't know where the yeah. horse is, and we're now going to... That's right. Yeah. I'll be honest, I never liked the old music, which is pretty predictable. I don't think anyone would be surprised that I didn't like the old music. But my buddy Josh uh, of the band Crash Cadet, uh, whom you can find on Bandcamp and your streaming services, uh, had this song, Bed of Eight, that I really liked. And I was like, this would make great podcast intro outro music. And I asked him... And he very kindly provided it for me at the friend rate of zero dollars um, and even made the little audio files for us. Yeah, uh, I like it a lot. I do. Um, and uh, I am I am not offended by the fact that you did not like our previous music. Um, I liked its jauntiness. Um, but, you know, when you're buying music from uh, a, a non, uh, you know, from a service as opposed to, you know, actual people, you know, this is royalty free stuff that we need. So I guessed previously that you liked the drum track from the intro being a drummer. I was like, he likes the drum track. So I'm not gonna, I I'll say that the drum track did not offend me. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, I, I hope people like the new music. I would love to hear some feedback. Yeah. By uh, all means. On it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say before we go anywhere mm -hmm. is that we call ourselves the pace line, the podcast on two wheels, but two wheels does not a pace line make. You would really need four wheels. <laughs> <laughs> You have a what? Two wheels would be a pace point. Okay, wow, that went right over my something or other. Not may, maybe not my head, but at least my shoulder. Uh, a pace point. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm yeah, catching you need on. Two bikes to be a pace line, right? right. Two points to make a line. So we're the podcast on four wheels. I understand. It's you know we'll leave it. We'll leave it. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> Um, but you and I, we're, we're, we're sticklers for accuracy in our work. And so, yeah, I, I see where this came from. You're among I friends. Have this, I have this problem. Uh, it's as with many people, uh, my problems are also my superpowers. So I tend to turn things over and over and over again at words specifically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so reading the intro, you know how I am. You I, know. I, I do. I do. Uh, for me, it's part of your charm. 
Oh, I print. Well, that's good because <laughs> that's good because a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't see it that way. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, uh, you know why don't why don't you take us somewhere? Uh, okay, lead this pace line, if you will, sir. Yeah. So so what I'm talking about this week is that the okay. So the hum. Let me start. We're, we're starting off to again. a great start here. I'm killing it so far. So, okay, so the human mind has a great propensity for categorizing things. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yes. We have difficulty seeing things on a continuum. Like, you know, gender, sexuality, autism, mental health, etc. Volume. Yeah, volume. Right. We're always eager to pin a thing down, put a name on it, and then decide how we feel about that. Oh, true. All true. So in the bike world, uh, we talk about road bikes, gravel bikes, mountain bikes, but then actually each of those categories gets busted up into subcategories. And this this week, I want to talk about one of those, a subcategory, actually, that is probably much larger than I previously thought. Oh, okay. In my mind... And probably only in my mind, a little over a decade ago, road bike tires started getting wider. Yeah. I was riding 23 millimeter tires, and then I was riding 25 millimeter tires, and then 28 millimeters. That that happened, that progression happened pretty quickly. Yeah. And then those 28s are what I used to experiment with, quote, gravel riding, as it came to be known, before eventually building myself an actual gravel bike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hilariously, I rode 32 millimeter tires on that gravel bike for a few years before finally landing on 40 millimeter tires <laughs> and more or less living there, as I think many people do. But I've gone right in saying what I just said. I've gone right past the subcategory I'm trying to talk about today, which <laughs> which is all road. OK. Because of the way I progressed through those tire sizes and riding styles, in my mind, there was road and there was gravel. Uh huh. In the background, we began hearing about all road stuff. I say we, I. In the background, I began hearing about all road stuff, but I, I sort of ignored it or I just lumped it in with gravel. I was like, oh, they have a cute. I know people, a lot of people, including myself, uh, don't love the term gravel for that mm-hmm. category of bike since so actual literal gravel gets ridden on. Um, so I was just like, oh, all road is just a better maybe way to say gravel. Uh-huh. As it turns out, however, all road is its own thing, and it is much, much more popular than I realized. Uh, okay. In fact, I wasn't ready for this, fa- but continue. In fact, I'd wager that the pure road market—let's call that everything up to twenty-eight millimeters—is smaller now than the all road market which runs from 28 millimeters to 35 millimeters with most of those tires being slick or file treaded. Uh, Do you, maybe, are you maybe. accepting, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Does this, does this comport with your sense of things? Uh, I, I, I it, it seems to fit with some of what I've seen. Let's put it that way. All right. My sense is that the legions of roadies who sort of animated American cycling culture through the Lance era didn't all convert to gravel riding. 
In okay. fact, uh-huh. in fact, they're not really interested in trail riding, or they don't think that they have the skill set for it. But it doesn't that doesn't matter. Uh, dirt road riding does have some appeal for them, mm-hmm. and that means all road makes sense for them. Coupled with the fact that most riders seem to enjoy more tire volume, all road becomes this magic catch-all for roadies who aren't gravelies. Which is a name I just made up. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, uh, probably not first. I'm seldom first to the <laughs> to the party, but uh, I, I do like that gravelies. Anyway, um, <laughs> this phenomenon mostly passed me by. Uh, I had it sort of explained to me not that long ago because, well, he, here's the story. I helped launch a company's wheel program. Mm-hmm. This is in my non-TCI work. And the first wheel they brought to market was a gravel wheel, which I expected to kill. It didn't. <laughs> and I chalked that up to the fact that the wheel market is really crowded, which is it, which it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe also I could have written better copy. That's always a possibility, but that's by the by. Later, they released an all-road wheel. And that one hit pretty big by comparison. And that wheel is optimized for narrower tires, and it has a deeper rim, so it's more aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. And these turn out to be very appealing characteristics for this vast sea of all rotors I was unaware of. Mm. So mm. these are roadies who mm-hmm. are like, oh, I want to maybe ride dirt roads, but I haven't let go of the idea that I need aero... Mm-hmm. You know, that I need to run skinnier tires. And mm-hmm. when I say skinnier, I mean 30s. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, and so I, I guess I have a few points I'm trying to make here. The first is that I think all road is the new road as categories go. Second, we're at a place where these categories and subcategories are increasingly blurry and almost arbitrary. Some might even say analog. <laughs> uh, so will all road and gravel overlap a whole lot? Yeah, they will. And, and third, thinking categorically is only so helpful w- when you reach this level of nuance about what characteristics go into the bike you want to ride, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we've been talking, I've been talking this whole time about tire size, which is only begins to talk about what uh, a road or an all road or a gravel bike is like there are geometric nuances to that. There are gearing considerations that go in there. Um, But you might ride an all-road bike with traditional road gearing or a gravel bike with traditional road gearing or you might put gravel gearing on your you know what i mean so like it's it really is mix and match and we bandy yeah. these these terms around and really i get it because it makes it, it it's shorthand and we don't feel like we have a lot of time but in reality bikes are are more um nuanced uh i I don't want to say complicated i want to say they're more the idiosyncratic what's that idiosyncratic yeah idiosyncratic the particular rider and what you know what they're 
the 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 environment that they're riding in environments that they are riding in um and you know i mean yeah the gearing reflects you know their strength and the speeds they go and and uh yeah whereas you know you roll the clock back to 2011 everybody was on 23s and they had you know uh a, a 1226 cassette or an 1126 cassette and right. you know it uh, a road bike was a thing right it was it was uh, now let me hasten to add it was too much a thing what we have now is genius it's perfect in its vastness <laughs> and confusion I agree with you. I agree with you. Like like 30 years ago, there was a shop here in the Boston area called Dream Bikes. Mm-hmm. And Dream Bikes built, quote, custom bikes. And what they meant was they would take a frame from a variety of manufacturers and they would build that frame out with wheels and components as you wished. That mm-hmm. was the idea of a custom bike. There were, of course, you know, at the same time, there were people making actual custom bikes. In fact, Dream Bikes <laughs> was adjacent to a custom bike builder. But um, the the sort of modularity of bikes now is really pretty magical, where, you know, if you find out that a frame or fork won't take a tire size, uh, you might be disappointed. Whereas before it was like, oh, you know, 20, no bigger than 25 is going in this frame. And now people are making these quote unquote, all road bikes and they fit 35 millimeter tires for crying out loud. <laughs> so you can yeah. run 23s if you're mm-hmm. that person. Crazy. still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we've sort of, in a lot of ways, we've come unstuck from our preconceived notions and, and the, the, we've shaken the categories loose. Now, we're still talking mm-hmm. in that shorthand, but in reality, I think the reality is much different now. And I think that's I think that is fascinating. Also, this quote unquote all road market, uh, I think, is actually vast. Yeah, yeah, I would I would have to agree with you. Uh Something that I struggled to comprehend uh, when I, you know, the first couple of years I was in uh, getting into gravel riding um, and starting to explore uh, locations in Southern California. And then I moved up to Santa Rosa and, you know, exploring locations here, Um, even though they're separated by, uh, what is it, 600 miles, uh, no, 500 miles. both places I was riding are very rocky. There's a lot of, you know, big lumpy rocks and you have to take a certain amount of care around them and, or, uh, run 40 millimeter tires. Uh, I say this as my first semi-official gravel ride was on 25s. I I went to a bigger tire for the day. Yeah. (laughs) Um, those two millimeters of plush comfort. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, not the gator skin, but it was, uh, uh, the specialized tire with, you know, their impenetrable belt. Uh, right. I was at NABs one year. I forget which, which, uh, city we were in, 
But I was talking to frame builder Carl Strong. Um, Carl's now especially known for his new line of carbon fiber bikes, Pursuit, which are hand-built in Montana, um, and they're exquisite. But anyway, I was looking at one of uh, Carl's gravel bikes, um, Titanium, and it had uh, like a 32 millimeter file tread, you know, sort of a cyclocrossy tire, you know, little knobs on the side, um, but only only 32s. They were not huge, huge tires. And I was like, where are you going to ride that, man? Because I'm thinking every place must be rocky. I really hadn't gotten out of my own way yet. And he's like, oh, my God, you know, Montana, we've got miles and miles and miles of, of these, you know, kind of crushed gravel roads. They're just not paved, but they're everything else that you'd want a road in a road, you know, crowned slightly and um, a, a relatively undulation free uh, surface. Um, and so, you know, that's for there. That's all you need. Um if I run 32s here on any of the any of the hillier terrain, uh, I'm gonna wind up with a flat or a broken rim. It, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I, I, well, that's the other piece of this is that um, where I live is very rocky, also due to ice age, due <laughs> due to the retreat <laughs> of the ice sheet uh, some <laughs> years ago, um, <clears throat> and so I get the sense. I think that sort of skewed my view, right? Because New Englanders rushed to gravel bikes. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got the we've got the roots and the rocks. We have trails and dirt roads out the absolute wazoo. Um, it's so true. It's so true. And so we rushed into it. Uh, but I think in Southern California, and I'm not saying they don't have trails in Southern California. But the road culture was so strong there that I think they tiptoed into gravel. I think, and I think all road is particularly popular in sandier places where, yeah, you want a little more tire volume, but you can still run a slick with a little, at a little lower pressure and be having a great time. Yeah. Uh, there are, I think there are multiple factors in California, both the Bay Area and Southern California where you know you had you have strong group ride culture and so there's a certain momentum to keep doing the things that you were doing people had to split off in smaller bands you know two or three or four friends going off to check out something uh and you know when i was uh actively doing the grasshoppers which i'm hoping to get back to this next season I, you know, I could always tell the people who had driven, driven up from the peninsula uh, because they were on 32s and they were in a skin suit and <laughs> they had dirt on their shoulder. Um, and I don't I don't mean to be derisive, but, you know, it, it, there was a, a look to everybody who hadn't mastered cornering on loose dirt. Um, and, yeah, the, the 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 dirty shoulder was certainly a giveaway. Um, but, you know, we would see. 32s uh in the grasshoppers and then you know i would pass somebody who was halfway through changing their flat yeah they had been faster than me until they got their flat right uh if they were super fast i was getting to them just as they were getting back on their bike yeah you know uh and so 
you know, yeah, you give up a little bit when you go, you know, you're always going to pick up rolling resistance as you go to bigger tires. That's that's a reality. We can't zero that out. Right. But what you gain and what you lose is negotiable in a way that tire quality would not allow for 12, 13, 14 years ago. Um, you know, the big revolution that came in tire size happened because of the Finnish company Wheel Energy testing a whole bunch of tires and Specialized coming out dead last in like every category and their engineers going to Finland and saying, OK, what is it we don't understand here? And they started from the ground up. They started with uh, uh, new casings. They started with new rubber compounds they stopped with the the shouldered uh tread profile like motorcycles um that was slowing them down and very quickly specialized was making the fastest tires on the planet for bikes anyway um and everybody started chasing that and so now the quality of tires that we're on is you can't compare it to what we were riding 20 years ago it's just so different and you know, I would venture to say that, you know, the 28s that I'm running at 75 PSI uh, tubeless are faster than the 23s I was running at 105 PSI in 2003. Yeah, it's funny to hear you say those numbers now. And I, I try not to think, you know, I'm a squeeze test guy. I'm not even a digit, <laughs> you know, but I haven't seen my pump go over 60 pounds in years now i don't think <laughs> you don't know if the, the gauge would go that high i don't yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know and i'm you know i'm having as much fun as ever so there it is <laughs> yeah um i i think it's great that you know a lot of shops are taking a leadership role in encouraging gravel riding and and helping people with that and, you know, the more people hew to what their local shop is doing, those guys get to try a lot of different tires. And, um, you know, what somebody needs for a tire in a given location uh, is probably not the thing that I'm running right now. Well, that's it. That's it. I, I think it is highly regional. I think, you know, there's areas where 32 or 35 slicks make sense for almost everything. And. Or, you know, they just don't like I think Chicagoland doesn't have a tremendous amount of uh, the sort of, quote, you know, gravel riding that I do, mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. is essentially single track stitched together by pavement and dirt. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, highly regional and, you know, obviously not just one answer, or not just one way to do it, which is fantastic. And, and fortunately, the bikes are adaptable enough now that uh everyone can get what they want yeah yeah uh i i love the amount of choice we have now yeah um it's it's a much healthier sport as a result i think so yeah uh already we're gonna take a break and we will be back in just a moment hi it's john i hope you're enjoying the podcast and that you find something you like to read regularly on the cycling independent Increasingly, cycling media is either dominated by clickbait, listicles, banner ads, and cross-marketing campaigns, or it's out of business. We're trying to buck that trend by being a reader and listener-supported site. That's where we gain our independence from a model that's just not working very well. 
So if you can, please consider our $3 subscription. It's a cup of coffee. It's a beer. It's an amount you can part with. There are five and $10 subscriptions too. If you're more enthusiastic about what we do or more financially secure, have a look at those. But $3 takes us an awfully long way. The point is, we need your support to keep doing what we do. Thanks for considering it. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on at least four wheels. What have you got for us this week? I have a question for you. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with a question. Do you see ads for e-bikes in your various feeds? Um, a, a little bit. Uh. As a result of my day job, I see very few ads that are for anything other than e-bikes. By the way, Jennifer has a certain complaint about this from me working on her Wi-Fi when I'm at her place. She now sees only ads for e-bikes. She does not seem to be thrilled about that. Oh. Yeah. Um, Uh, I mean, if it's any consolation to her... Uh, you know, the ads I get are for sunglasses and sweatpants. So, you know, it's sort of like six of one half dozen of the other. (laughs) I miss the days of seeing ads for crazy shoes. I ordered a pair of custom vans once, uh, online and you know, that, that did something lovely to my feed for a while. Mm. Um, but yeah, work. So recently there has been some really heavy advertising, uh, for e-bikes that claim they charge going downhill or while braking. Um, and I have had three different friends, uh, ask me about them. Uh, and I figured, well, if my friends are asking me, I bet our listeners are wondering about them as well. So, Let's cover the basics about recharging an e-bike by going downhill and braking um, or or braking. Um, So, yes, this is a thing. Some e-bikes can do this. The question really is, do you want it? Uh, Before you say yes out loud at the speaker, uh, let me explain just what this entails. Um, First... It requires a very specific kind of motor called direct drive. Um, this is a hub motor that is quite large. Um, it You'll see it running beyond the cassette or the rotor. Um, it occupies about half the wheel. Very short spokes. That's nice. Um, unlike most hub motors, it doesn't have any gears inside, and that's why it's so big. Uh, direct drive motors generally weigh on the order of an extra kilogram, Sometimes more if you're lucky. Uh, Also, direct drive motors don't produce much torque until the RPMs are pretty high, which means that when starting and at low speeds, these motors tend to be on the sluggish side. They don't have great acceleration. And because of the low torque, if the hill is steep enough, it might just slow to a stop. E-bikes with mid-drive motors, which are generally the best motors out there on the market, well, they can't do this. Um, So some e-bikes with direct drive motors uh, can recharge the battery with braking. That said, in my limited experience, because I really haven't ridden many of these bikes, um, the braking is good for scrubbing speed on turns, but it's not something you would go to for, say, a precisely controlled stop. Mm. Say say you want to stop at that white line on the crosswalk. 
Mm. This makes that effort um, blurry. Blurry, sure. Blurry, yeah. Yeah. I'm comfortable with that, he said, <laughs> shaking his head. <laughs> um, so, also, uh, you, you want to give some thought to how much time you actually spend breaking. For most of us, it might only add up to a minute in an hour-long ride. That's not actually much time for charging. And you have to consider efficiency. Breaking this way doesn't actually recapture all that much energy. Well, that's, uh, that's, what, that's what I was thinking. I mean, I have a hybrid automobile, uh-huh. uh, which has regenerative braking. And that process steals momentum. Yep. Well, um, we're going to get to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I so jump in the gun. Uh, uh, well, you know, you're, you're, you're pulling neck and neck. <laughs> I'll stop. Uh, so there's also recharging on downhills. And the first rule of generating electricity is that you either need a chemical reaction, like with the battery, or you need mechanical energy to be converted into electricity. Yeah. Yes. Going yeah. downhill is a terrific opportunity to take that energy, momentum, and turn it into electricity. Now, how fast we go downhill depends on how much resistance there is, though, right? Yes. If you sit up higher, you go slower. If your wheels have rotten bearings, i.e. not Chris King hubs, uh, <laughs> you go slower. If your tires are inflated to 8 PSI, you go slower. If your tires are 40 millimeters wide, you go slower. And if there is a mechanism taking that energy and converting it into electricity, that is going to create drag at the real wheel. And drag means slower. Yes. That's, yes. That's where you were headed. Science. Yeah. <laughs> and for riders who don't like the Zoom, don't like going fast, and I've known a few, regeneration would be a terrific way to keep an e-bike's downhill speed under control. But mm. I keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, the recapture rate for downhill riding is not all that efficient, just like with braking. You could descend for a couple of miles and maybe only claw back 1% of the battery's overall capacity. Right. So the reason why recapture is so low owes to another factor. Cyclists don't weigh all that much. Mm. Um, that whole mass thingy. Um, we, we don't really get much attention from gravity. Yeah. Uh, there's not much energy tied up in a 180-pound cyclist going downhill at 30 miles an hour. And there's even less if you only weigh 130 pounds. Mm. So... Uh, you know, the, the answer to the question is these e-bikes are not bad. Uh, I'm not against them and I'm not going to tell anyone not to buy one, but I do want to make it clear that the marketing claims I'm seeing make them seem almost perpetual motion machines. Right. I'm reminded of, uh, some ads for a treadmill, you know, and and battery, or not not treadmill. You know, a, a stationary bike and some sort of battery system where you could power your home by pedaling. Right. <sighs> right. I mean, when I was really, really fit some years back, 
I could sit on the front of a group ride and do 300 watts for just long, long periods of time. 300 watts? I mean, that won't cover some microwaves. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> yeah. It sounds to me like <clears throat> regenerative braking in e-bikes, oh, that's neat. That is not uh, the reason to buy the bike. No, no. Uh, if, if somebody's expecting a remarkably uh, efficient bike that, you know, you dole out a little energy, you get a bunch of energy back. No, it's it, this is a drop in the bucket situation. Right. And for me, I would much rather have an e-bike with a mid-drive motor. Right. Um, I also want a, an e-bike that has terrific acceleration because the zoom is fun. Sure. There's a name for that, though. It's an electric motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> Among my freelance gigs in the past, I used to do all the copy editing for zero motorcycles. Oh, I, I did knew, not know that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if it uh, if it got put on a website or printed on a page, it came through me. And so I knew all the specs on their motorcycles backward, forward, sideways. And I came very, very close to asking them if they could just like work my bill off by giving me a motorcycle. Yeah. I knew that that was not a good idea given my proclivities. Yeah. Uh, but those <laughs> things are remarkable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My life insurance policy precludes <laughs> me from riding motorcycles. And taking intravenous drugs also. Um, I'd rather drive a motorcycle. <laughs> I've never considered those as, you know, roughly equal risks. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're in the same bucket. I don't know how equal they are, but they are in the same bucket as far as the actuaries are you know, concerned. That's a, yeah, I mean, that's a certain sort of threshold. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> consider yep. this. Yeah. So, you know, for me, the real deal killer is the fact that, you know, it would just sap the wee for me on every single descent and i i had a thought as i was trying to wrap up my thoughts uh which was that you know it in a way you'd be trading dopamine for electricity that's right. a no-go for me now i would be willing to trade electricity for dopamine but you know not the other way around uh well if you put a fork in an electric socket you will be trading electricity for dopamine i could tell you that and that's pretty cheap <laughs> it hurts mildly and i guess if you're ready for it it's not as surprising as when it happens by accident um would this be the point in the show where we remind everyone not to do as we say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't do those things. Don't do those <laughs> things. In fact, I said on a on a revolting podcast once that 110 volts, which is common uh, mm -hmm. uh, voltage in your home, won't kill you. And uh, a, a smarter person than me chimed in to say, nope, it will. Uh, it just depends on how well you've completed the circuit. So, um, <laughs> so yes. <laughs> Please be careful when doing wiring or work around wiring in your home and uh, call a licensed electrician. Okay.
And, and now we know that you're a poor circuit completer. I I am. I am. Okay. I'm also a poor judge of where wiring might be running and might not be. I'm as good as a, I'm as good at electricianing as I am at bike mechanicing, which is not very good at all. And so now we're going to move on to the point where we actually review gear. E- yes, but the gear the, <laughs> the gear that I'm reviewing today, I'm highly qualified to review, and you'll understand more about that in a moment. Okay, so your paceline pick is oh. Uh, yeah, so I'm taking a slightly unconventional tack this week. Uh, in past polls, I've championed the Orange Mud Transition Wrap. A let's mm-hmm. call it engineered towel that makes getting out of sweaty bike shorts or bibs easy. Um, mm-hmm. If you're like me, getting out of the wet diaper after a ride is of paramount importance. Uh, so almost any time I drive to a ride, I plan to change at the car immediately after. Today, I want to talk about what I put on because it's as important to my comfort as getting out of the damp chamois. Okay. Post-ride, I want two things. I want airy and soft. So rather than pulling on a pair of cotton underwear uh, that is binding, I Mm -hmm. go for a pair of fleece or terry shorts sans undergarment. Yes, I'm going commando. Uh, but both uh-huh. the Opre Ride shorts, I just said Opre Ride, and I beg everyone's forgiveness for using that term. Uh, okay. Both the shorts I'm going to pick today are thick enough that you're not likely to offend anyone uh, in your resulting commandoness. Both of these things are soft as hell and let air flow around the parts of you that have been constricted and moist. Okay. First... The North Face Simple Logo Fleece Shorts. These are $55. They're nice. Baggy. uh, Soft. The women's equivalent is the Half Dome Fleece Short, which are $50. I don't know why you save five bucks, but uh, there you have it. Both of those have pockets if you care. I don't. Um, (laughs) The Deluxe Option... If you have the budget, is the outer known high tide sweat shorts. These are thick cotton terry. They breathe a bit better still than the North Face and are arguably more comfortable. I think they're more comfortable. I have a pair despite the fact they cost $98. (laughs) Yes. $98 pair of sweat shorts. I'm that's the kind of fancy boy I am, but fully worth it. Um, you know, I pick and choose my luxuries, and this is a serious one. The women's version of the outer known short is the California short, it's the same price. It is highly recommended. Huh. I, I, a Terry short. Yeah, they're like towel pants. It's like putting on a towel that is pants. How long is the inseam? How far do these make it down your uh, your thigh? Uh, most of the way to my knee. Almost, okay. yeah, probably to the very top of my knee. I am a short-legged, bow-legged, stubby-legged uh, Welshman, Welshman. So, yeah. Uh, I knew where you were going. Yeah. Hmm. I I am intrigued. Yeah, think about it. Okay. 
All right. So uh, with Shimano on a hiatus from sponsoring the Pace Line, uh, I felt a little more comfortable about my pick this week. I'm going with the Shimano S-Fire glasses. Uh, They revamped their eyewear line this year and came out with some new designs. Um, I've been wearing them for some months now and really liking them for some months now. Uh, So these have a full coverage one piece lens. It is a very subdued appearance compared to what we're seeing from brands like Oakley and 100%. Um, They have no sharp corners to cut a cheek if you go down. Uh, And that's really a selling point for me because I don't want to look like an extra from Guardians of the Galaxy. That makes one of us. Go on. (laughs) Uh, They come with a travel box, uh, two lenses, an extra large nose piece, um, and a protective bag. Uh, I went with the metallic blue lens because I don't tend to need lenses that are super dark. Uh, more about this in a second. I like lenses that aren't super dark for when I dive into the forest on mountain bike rides. Yep. Yep. Uh, the darker the lens, the more trouble I have going from light to dark and back again. Uh, The second lens included is clear, and it's great for rides at the edges of the day. Um, Shimano makes seven different colors of frames and three lenses with different color coatings um, and different levels of darkness, depending on the discipline for which they are to be used. Um, There are four road models, two mountain bike models, and one gravel-specific model. Uh, my metallic blue lens does come from the off-road collection. Um, I'm told that the road and gravel lenses transmit 21% of ambient light, um, while the off-road lens transmits 35% of the ambient light. Mm. Um, the lens clarity, I gotta say, rivals anything I have ever worn from Oakley or Spy. Way better than the bargain brands like Tifosi. Um... The lenses mm. offer full UV 400 protection, and I don't actually really know what that means. I see UV protection, I kind of just go, oh, okay, good. Glad yes. that's covered. Good. Uh, yeah. They allege that the anti-scratch coating is three times more durable than standard coatings. Um, I'll say that I haven't uh, deliberately put this claim to the test, but I have had a few near misses with these. Um, and have been impressed that they did not scratch on any of those occasions. That That is interesting to me because part of the reason I get so many ads for glasses, I think, is because I so often am replacing lenses and glasses due to oh, just being a horrible klutz who drops the stuff all the time. <laughs> um, so one of the really interesting things... Uh, about these glasses is that the frames, uh, the, the lenses attach to the frames via magnets. And that does make changing lenses easier. Um, I bet. maybe too easy in my estimation. Um, and this really goes to the, my one criticism of these glasses. I would prefer stronger magnets on two different occasions. I was closing the temples of the glasses and the lens popped off. Like I said earlier, near misses, the, yeah. the frame did hit the ground. Um, but, you know, as long as the glasses are on my face, I've had no issues at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the S-Fire glasses go for $220. Uh, and I'm going to say I keep 
by the way, uh, one of their PR people did send these to me. Um, I specifically requested them because I know that they don't get much attention. Um, and you know, just like there are other non bite component products, the stuff is just crazy good. Um, and I, it's a shame that, that these products don't get more attention. They're doing terrific work. And, you know, for somebody who, again, doesn't want all these crazy angles and, you know, weird shapes and, you know, uh, looking like they're out of a 1980s sci-fi film. Uh, yeah. These, uh, these have a much more low-key look. Um, they do the job. You know, it's what I want. It's a good-looking lens. It's a, it's a good shape. Um, plenty of coverage. Yeah, I'm happy. I will check them out. Yeah, yeah. These, these have become my go-to glasses for most all situations. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, you, what you were saying, uh, they are not photochromic. They're not, no, there's not a photochromic uh, lens being offered with these. Which is, okay, my second criticism. I really like photochromic lenses. Um, and yeah, they aren't offering these in one. Um, they've done many of their designs in photochromic previously, and they do a good job of that. Yeah, that's a thing that I'm interested in because I have a similar problem to you in that uh, often when I get on my bike here at home to head to the trails, it's sunny and I want to have sunglasses on, but then as soon as I'm in the woods, I can't read the trail properly because too dark uh -huh. uh, so a, a lens that would adapt uh seems nice it it is uh, yeah i'm definitely a fan um but you know uh if the lens is light enough it doesn't really need to change yeah i'm not sure that's the case in my i'm i'm right on the edge of like do i need a prescription to read the trail <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. another thing entirely. There are reading glasses, and then there are trail reading glasses. <laughs> I I am fortunate that I have not suffered that uh, that fate quite yet. Yeah. Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of the Paceline. Uh, hey, drop by, talk to us, leave a comment. You know, ask a question. Uh, tell us we're awesome, or that maybe we need to be neutered. I, I do have a, an interesting list of topics or conversation starters from producer at large, John in Michigan. Uh, John, if you're listening, thank you for those. We, they are they are in development. OK, yeah. Uh, but but, you know, everyone else, if you've got questions or things you want us to kick around, kick them our way. Yeah. Yeah. We like kicking. Right. Sure. In okay. this in this yeah. context. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and hey, when you drop by, maybe subscribe. Definitely or subscribe. The teacher. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I I need to better be a better advocate for us. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, as you know, whatever you leave with us uh, goes to somebody who's actually producing content for the site or one of our podcasts, and we do appreciate the support. Alrighty, until next week. I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to the Pace Line. <laughs>